fantastic to see you all and um, brave souls um, uh, defying the uh, the fake news and the Democrats' rumors about health health issues. And we're here to keep alive the healthy uh, pursuit of art criticism, live art criticism. Um, who is here at the review panel for the first time? Anybody? Ah, fantastic. Well, welcome. It's lovely to see you uh, for your benefit and just to refresh the memories of the other stalwarts. Uh, in the review panel, we've been to see four exhibitions in venues around town, which um, we're going to review two at a time um, and take a break in the middle uh, with a chance for the audience to participate and um, chip in. Um, as the audience is roughly the same size as the panel, I think it could be um, a very profitable and uh, um, lively exchange. Um, so um, my first pleasure is to introduce my guests, um, uh, who Heidi has already indicated to you, but um, sitting to what looks to be the right of me is Laurie Fendrick. She um, is a critic who writes for the Chronicle of Higher Education and uh, for some years now, and more recently for the Brooklyn Rail. Uh, she is also a- Two coats of paint. I beg your pardon, fantastic. Two coats of paint. Uh, it's you that's in the Brooklyn Rail, yes. Yeah. It did surprise me, yeah, excellent, okay. Um, small audience, small audience is no excuse for stupid mistakes, so that's the last of the evening. Um, uh, two coats of paint and the Chronicle of Higher Education. She's a painter. Um, she uh, re indeed received a Guggenheim uh, in 2016 for her painting. Um, next show will be at? Louis Stern in Los Angeles. Louis Stern in Los Angeles. Cool. Uh, Barbara McAdam is a redoubtable, long time since the mid 80s editor at Art News, where most of her writing can be found. And she's recently uh, started contributing to the Brooklyn Rail. And Terence Truyo is um, uh, a freelance uh, critic. He uh, was for some while associated with Bomb magazine. Um, he is. Uh, he can be found in hyperallergic? No. no. Artnet. Art in America. Excellent. What a relief to have a whole panel with no hyperallergic contributor for once. Um, um, so uh, he, uh, he is also now an associate editor at uh, Snap Editions. And he will also be working on their blog, I believe, forthcoming. Fantastic. Great. So look out for those. And of course, carry on reading the wonderful Hyperallergic. That was just a silly little dig. Um, usually I, I have to introduce three panel, uh, three guests and they all seem to write for Hyperallergic. I don't know why they don't write for Art Critical, but there's um, many things in this universe that are not yet explained. So what we're going to do now is look at the... Um, well, we're going to get the first loop going. And the first exhibition that we're reviewing this evening is of Curtis Tallwaste Santiago, um, Can't I Alter, uh, at, at the Drawing Center in Soho. Um, Terence, yes. this is quite a bold installation, isn't it? Uh, we have um, 
and a bold a, a bold installation that in the great tradition of the drawing center um pushes the envelope a little bit as to our definitions of drawing uh, but i think there's plenty there that can be talked of as drawing or we can just ignore the fact that it calls itself the drawing center and luxuriate in it as art on its own terms but um this is a great plethora of uh, mediums, supports, materials, an elaborate scaffold supporting what feel like they could have been um, drawings literally yanked from the wall, bringing the wall with them um, from um, other locales. Uh, there's a video playing in, in the back. Um, visually, uh, a lot going on. Um, how does it all add up for you? I mean, I'm, I, I quite enjoyed the show, to be honest. I thought it was very um, interesting, very different from some of his earlier work, quite different, actually. Um, I'm not too sure how familiar everyone is about his work, but um, he made, he started working with these little miniature dioramas, um, kind of reminiscent to those Mighty Max toys. I don't know if there's anyone here who's familiar with those toys. I played with them when I was a kid, but um, very tiny little works um, um, that were either made from vanity boxes, jewelry boxes, something like that. Um, and most notably, he made dioramas of uh, uh, you know the Eric Gardner and Michael Brown shootings, stuff of that nature. So very powerful work, but very, very, very quaint. So it's interesting to see him work in this sort of you know very very large installation. Um, which is how I read the work is like is one sort of unit, um, and you know I think uh, the work and uh, I'm assuming everyone went to to see it, um, but um, it was really interesting to sort of kind of look at um, sort of the inspiration, this idea of uh, sort of uh, this ancestral sort of um, imagination, um, and working with that in terms of carnival and the uh, Juvere ceremony and stuff of that nature. Um, but yeah, it was quite moving. I mean, the 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 kind of, you know, what I took from it um, and sort of in relation to the other shows that we saw was that it was, you know, it was quite expansive. It was a lot to work with. Mm. Whereas some of the shows, you know, there was only a few paintings, a few, a few works, um, all kind of in the same style as well. And this sort of, you know, goes from his drawings to some, some works that are very sculptural as well. Some of the rocks in the show that had the sort of red face, uh, which is sort of the tradition of uh, sort of Trinidadian uh, carnival. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a, a bold move. Um, also thinking about sort of trauma as well, because there's the the painting that he refers to, which is this uh, uh, 16th century um, sort of uh, Portuguese painting of African Moors and sort of tracing that to his own lineage and uh, thinking about that in a very expressive way. And also, um, if you don't know him, he has this really sort of deep connection to Basquiat as well. He talks about Basquiat in his work. So there's, I don't know if people saw that, but that's definitely part of that um, dialogue. Um, but yeah. Great, thank you. Um, uh, Barbara, of course, this is the only uh, show we're seeing in a, an institution as opposed to, well, I, I suppose Undercurrents is a, Undercurrent is a non-profit, uh, but it's, this, it's the only, um, the others are more conventional uh, venues. Um, uh, the drawing center is a sort of Kunsthaler of sorts. So um, uh, we make allowances for that. But um, 
it's sort of a little bit of everything but the kitchen sink, isn't there, going on with uh, this show? Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think it was that coherent. Was the only problem? It's a little hard to follow with the different rooms. <clears throat> I didn't. I, I almost needed a map to follow through the galleries. Um, but I like the idea of <clears throat> having the all the objects and the and the drawings too. But it was like, not very nostalgic. I mean, I think it wasn't only angry, but there was a lot of very sort of sweet stuff, and it was yeah, toys and things, and yeah. um, yes, you know, and the whole idea of memories and mm-hmm. you know, palimpsests and yes, um, yes, um, uh, Laurie, your first uh, impressions of this, um, uh, energized by the plethora or bewildered by the overload. Well, I was a little daunted, to be honest with you. And so uh, when I'm daunted, what I do is I, I, I take it in, and I took some notes, and I went and tried to look as hard as I could, but I didn't get it at all. So, and I didn't feel the didactic material provided by the drawing center was helpful at all. So I went home, and I looked up this guy. And the longer I spent with him and the deeper I went, the more interesting he became. And I think that... Um, uh, everything from the faux artifacts. I mean, that you know, he's very inventive. He comes up with this stuff and inventing the Jouvet Knight, uh, his little giant toy. His his hybridization is with the times for sure. His own background is Canadian and Trinidadian, but he was born in Canada of parents who had come when they were very very young to Canada, and um, there was something. Uh, joyful about him in the interviews. I, yes, I did spend a long time with this guy. I'd love to meet him now. Um, there was something joyful about him that I really did like. But I agree with Barbara that it's very daunting for... Uh, I look at a lot of art and I felt it was... I couldn't quite get what it was from the show. I'd like to go back now that I have studied. I really like going back to college. I feel like I studied him or something. I'd like to go back and try it again because I think I was hard on something. So for I'll just give you one example. There's a painting with uh, Colin uh, Kopernik, whatever. I don't watch. Kopernik. I don't watch football, so it's hard for me to remember these names. But he's the man who became famous in football for kneeling during the National Anthem. There's a painting, one painting with him in the painting, um, painted with the number seven, which if you know uh, football, you yes, I said basketball. If you know football, you would know it was him. But I couldn't, I needed help to see that, and I didn't find that in a wall plaque or something that would help. And I think that sort of didactic thing would be helpful. So. Uh, Terence, do you, do you concur that this is um, a show that requires program notes, so to speak? Or do, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I thought the didactic stumps the I mean the one thing that they had um, was helpful in terms of kind of getting uh, a sort of an understanding of where the work was coming from particularly so he spent some time in Lisbon and you know sort of making this work and being and sort of tracing this sort of lineage from this one painting to his um, name Santiago um, and so that was helpful for me but I guess in, in terms of I mean I will agree there w- it was fairly opaque I think there's 
things that um, because of how things were installed, the video itself is also pretty strange, I have to say. I think that was the weakest part uh, for me, at least. It was very short. Um, you know, I spent some time trying to sort of get it to a certain degree or sort of take something from it. Um, but I thought that was a little bit difficult to sort of tease out. Um, but, you know, I really enjoyed the show. I thought as, as um, a sort of installation of the work, I thought the work was you know, at the very least, very graphic. I think, um, you know, knowing a bit about him and already having some sort of, uh, not that I know him, but I, you know, he, you know, was at Pioneer Works. I saw his work there. You know, I've been interested in, in what he does. And so this was sort of um, knowing what he did in the past, these sort of miniature works and sort of working at this large scale is very exciting for me. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, but I will agree that there is, you know, I, I think it's hard to sort of penetrate, particularly if you don't have a sort of understanding of his work or really that kind of relationship to um, his his sort of history as a, as a, you know, this sort of first generation Trinidadian person from Canada, you know, uh, which I could relate to again, personally, and all that stuff. Um, also being a first generation sort of Caribbean kid. Um, so there's definitely that. And I think, uh, I, I mean, apart from just, you know, the how the show is, whether or not if it's successful or anything like that, I think part of it is also uh, just knowing his, this, his kind of a, almost worship for Basquiat and his sort of relationship and yeah. that dialogue is very, how, very how do you, strong. How do we feel that manifests in the work itself then? Well, I think you could see, I mean, he, he, I mean, there's definitely a visual vocabulary here where there's the red face, so the red clay that people use during the ceremony and that kind of comes throughout and, you know, as a way to sort of, you know, and we could discuss this more, whether it's it's achieving this, but sort of kind of drawing this connection to which I think you could see in kind of the imagery, which is kind of graffiti-esque, or, you know, we, we mentioned sort of these kind of, these uh, assembled sort of uh, tableaus of like, which I'm not too sure how he achieved that, whether or not they're mold or anything, but there's like, uh, you know, pieces of brick walls or cinder block walls and sort of, you know, kind of taking uh, what you would probably see in the streets of Trinidad and sort of bringing it with the scaffolding and creating an environment that's, very specific, but also on these walls you have, you know, what seemed to me being kind of a relationship to this one painting of, you know, this this 16th century Portuguese painting, which I believe is called the King's Fountain, um, of this like scene and kind of having a relation or, you know, a dialogue with this particular painting. So some of the imagery in there is like, you know, obviously very um, sort of graffiti-like, but also um, very faint. You kind of see the sort of, you know, camels in the in the in or horses or different different aspects from this original sort of uh, um, older painting. Um, and I think, I, you know, I, I I thought it was strong work, but I could understand how you know, kind of relating that or seeing that connection, whether or not that's you know everyone sort of sees that or experiences that something that's um, quite powerful. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, um, the imagery that's being used is this, again, and I think it's it works for me, is this idea of, you know, this imagination of also thinking about trauma, but also thinking about something that's kind of a celebration, you know, the carnival as being a, a sort of festive environment. And I think you kind of get this as being the sort of chaotic scene, also ripped from kind of whatever this, sort of what seems to be a dilapidated neighborhood or some sort of shanty town or everything like that. Um, but also having this sort of 
um, history involved on, on, on this like ripping of, of or section of a wall. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, you know, I, 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 but I could see how the, the show itself, I think, could have been stronger in some areas, particularly with the, the video, which I felt like kind of was out of place. But generally speaking, I thought, um, you know, it worked for me. Yes, yeah. I think the fact that it was so dark in there was, yes. a, was a problem in a funny way. Mm -hmm. See, it was a music, such a simple problem, but it, it made it hard to... Well, yeah, but I, I not, yes, but it's, it's a dramatic it's darkness, atmospheric, atmospheric yeah. and I'm not sure that the individual objects or tableau necessarily bear that much focused um, scrutiny. I think maybe, in fact, it's the, uh, the mise-en-scene that, that carries the day anyway. Um, you know, when, when a show is dark like that, um, I always think, well, this isn't just maybe a curatorial mis uh, decision. This is, uh, uh, this is so much an installation that it feels like everything there is the artist's the artist's owns that it, it has a kind of authorial um, point, and that, that that actually it's it's an admission in a way that um, the the sum is greater than the individual parts, but the individual parts are really um, not demanding of that much scrutiny necessarily. I mean, the drawings seem to be quite dense, but um, I mean, there are some works which are more chromatic and painterly, but um, in, the, in, in the, the sort of dense color images. Um, but the bigger and in ways intellectually more ambitious works tend to be those that are, um, that feel like mural sized yeah. drawings. And um, I, I'm not totally, um, uh, they held interest to me, but they didn't, they didn't um, actually exude a, a strong unified gestalt as individual drawings. They only sort of worked as part of a scenery of scaffolding and crumbling wall hanging off of that scaffolding. Uh, is that not a problem? Their predecessors, though, they were talking to the past. Yes. Yeah, and that was kind of, it was interesting. It was like explorers. Yeah. In the south and all. Well, I, I think also uh, one important part of the show is the title. Can't I alter? And yes. It's not just a, a funky title. It's philosophically what's driving this hybrid work because the sources are just multifarious and they're they're right. really all over the place. And also, it, it, one of the interesting things is that Portuguese painting he looked at. He said, "Well, he was very upset at first. He thought it was just about the black a black knight." Sure coming into the square, and then he looked more carefully and he saw that there were Africans being tortured in the background. So I decided that's an interesting painting. I don't know the painting, I'm gonna go look at it, but actually all kinds of people are going through a lot of bad stuff in the background. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it was right. just Africans being tortured, but it, he picked up on that, I think, because he's a black man and he saw that sure. and he, he felt that. So I appreciated that, but uh, the can't I alter, um, uh, really seems to come from his another aspect of his multifarious references were landscape paintings, 17th century landscape paintings, in which there was some mixing and mingling of the real and the fantastic. And he picked up on that, that he too can mix the real and the fantastic. But for me, that starts to go into this 
you know, I'm in Trump land now where like, I really want some real to be remain protected as fact and some, you know, some mixing. I'm not against mixing, but I don't think you can just mix and match and call, you know, without saying this is just imaginary. So you have to be very careful with that. That said, for me it was an installation that probably could have even used more, not less. Right. When I see stuff yes. like that, I want Jason Rhodes, mm. you know, just do it mm. all. Yes. And I would like even more pictures and more stuff. Um, but the red stuff, I did, of course, have to go look up the whole history of, you know, Carnival in Trinidad and yes. Jouvet over on Empire Boulevard. And, and, you know, it was just like I went down a deep rabbit hole, um, <laughs> which was fascinating. And I found that I wanted more of that fascination sure. in that exhibition for viewers like me. Right. Because does he want a road audience for a little old white lady like me or not? Mm -hmm. That would right. include me. But if he does want me, he needs to help me a little more. Sure. So I didn't have well, to do it. I, I also think the show was experimental, you know? Yeah. I, I think it, it's... I'm, I think it's fine that you cursed. Um, you yeah. But I honestly, I think there's something to, to say that the, it does feel somewhat unfinished in a certain way, yeah. uh, which I'm okay with. Transitional. Uh, it's yeah. drawing. It's yeah. a, that's, yeah. that's the extent to which it is sure. really drawing. Exactly. That it's um, being sketched out as we look at it. Yeah. Um, but I, I also wouldn't assume uh, that those... Uh, um, darker and younger than yourself necessarily have the erudition sufficient to get every nuanced reference to Portuguese uh, uh, painting. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, the, the, in a way, knowing that there is, there are richer layers, that there are, knowing that work is layered, that it's uh, uh, highly referential, um, a work should signal that it's referential in itself, and referentiality can then be abstracted from the individual references that happen to be being made um, to be, in a way, the artist's business that they're referential. I mean, referentiality is, is, is one quality that can pervade a drawing. Perceptual acumen is another. And um, this one goes for referentiality, that's, that's fine. Um, but um, it's still got to work, hasn't it? Well, because I'm sure we want to move on to the next show, but I do want to yeah. say one thing that I, I think may be of interest to everyone, but um, there's, you know, the, you mentioned the, the Jouvet Knight, which I think is something that he kind of created uh, based on an invite to, I guess there was a there's a big Basquiat show in Ontario, and he was inspired by a Basquiat painting to come up with this sort of this character. I think that's the the story. Um, and so he, you know, he had this performance, and so I kept on thinking how much the space was sort of this empty stage where you know it would have been. Um, you know, and there's the, the the sort of costume that's in the corner and in, in the installation. Um, I wonder how different it would be if there was an actual performance in the space um, as opposed to the video. Um, so I'm just curious about that, and you know, we could think about that later. You mentioned the reverence for Basquiat, but I mean, um, you don't see it. Well, it's not like it's not that I may have missed the particular references, sure. but it's more the question of. Um, careful who you pay homage to, because uh, Basquiat makes us realize that, first of all, you can have um, a, uh, uh, a plethora of 
references and um, that doesn't stop the work from cohering. Second of all, um, the references can take the viewer along and so that they, they know that they're a reference, they can either get the reference or look it up. And third of all, uh, Basquiat is, is always such a sort of effortless blaze of color and um, coming together uh, in, in, as, a, as a strong visual statement um, that doesn't rely on exterior theatrics mm -hmm. to uh, sort of frame it or underwrite it. It has its scale, it has its sense of immediacy and its graphicness, but um, it's basically a kind of inner aesthetic motor that makes Basquiat click. It has a rhythm. Rhythm, yes. I think that's one thing that beat pulsation makes it possible. Yeah. For anybody to be engaged with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is a rather um, scattered and staccato kind of aesthetic. As you say, it's um, uh, in it's sort of in transition, and it's perhaps sort of laying out a whole smorgasbord of potential ingredients. And um, I, I I enjoyed the ambition and the um, um, I, and the theatricality of, of the show. Um, I he also had a, another show, which I forget where it was, and I didn't get to see. I don't know if anybody else, because I was interested in sort of kind of comparing. Current? Yeah, Go current. Yeah, I believe he has another show. I forget where, honestly. Um, and I did get to see it. But yeah, I was just curious. Did you? No, yeah. I didn't, but uh, yeah, he does have another show up concurrent with yeah. his gallery review. Mm -hmm. I read, yeah. but I didn't see it. Yeah, well, that's. I did think the big nose was sort of funny. I, oh yeah, I, yes, I, that I, was I, good. Was, <laughs> of course, my reference would be right away to just the general icon, uh, icon smashing through through time and multiple cultures. But you know, I mean, if you wanted to really do a number on a religious statue, you just lopped its nose off. It had nothing to do with whether or not it had more features. Mm -hmm. Just mm. mentioning that noses were and penises were the first things to go. Now I've sworn and said the word penis. <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> Swearing is your decision, but uh, the specific correct technical name for an organ part, uh, for a body part, is uh, totally kosher. So, yes, no, no problem at all. And historically, you're quite right, because um, to the iconoclasts, if you lopped off the nose, it invalidated it. It meant that you couldn't worship that as an idol in the iconoclast's view, which is which is why, which is one explanation of why so many antiques uh, lack noses. The other is that simply that the nose is a very delicate and protruding thing that's likely to get knocked off anyway with the passage of time. But we won't get into the persnickety archaeological uh, ins and outs of uh, noselessness. Um, in fact, I think. Um, and and I, I'd say, ah, yes, I usually, when I fact check an exhibition, I ask venues to confirm whether or not they know that the artist has a concurrent exhibition anywhere else. And I didn't, did not this time around. And uh, it's a reminder to do so in the future because it's better to know everything that's going on and maybe have reviewed both. But I think we had more than enough to chew on uh, with the Drawing Center installation. Uh, and that's on through May. So, um, uh, plenty of time to go and see it if you, if you haven't, or for us to go back and chew over its um, uh, 
intricacies. Um, yeah, well, I think our, our, our next show of uh, Gayla Penn, which is um, Uneasy Terms at Undercurrent in Dumbo, uh, loop number two. Um, gentlemen, thank you, Caleb. Um, well, um, it's um, perhaps a nice segue from um, uh, Santiago in that it's another show of ambition and uh, density and uh, visual complexity and also uh, literary referentiality with its, um, uh, with its um, um, a whole body of work based on uh, volume two of uh, Richardson's great epistolary novel of the 18th century, Clarissa, a uh, very timely sort of um, Me Too novel um, of, the, uh, of its age. Um, um, and, and then, um, yeah, so um, it's quite a spectacular venue down there in, in Dumbo as well. Um, let's start with you this time, Barbara, if we may. Um, also drawings. And all, by, by yes, other means. So drawings that aren't drawings, and but that work as drawings, um, and that makes it very much a genre of today. I think. I mean, where anything can be anything. But I thought it was a very expressive show, and it was about architecture and materials with the expressiveness of, of these strange materials. Yes, yes. Um, so, how, 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 in a in a more sort of detailed way, would you describe the show, and what 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 vibes was it giving us? Well, it's got it's it's really a very dreamy sort of show. You know, you you don't know quite where you are. You um, you don't know quite how to access this, but it still affects you. Um, it's the intermedial stuff. Yes. An intermedial stuff that really interested yeah. me. It's, it's about itself. Yes. Yes. And what would you want from there? <laughs> you were asking. Oh, that's okay. No. Uh, that's stuck on that. No. That's definitely it's poetic. It's very, you know, and it's a little theatrical, and you, it's film-like. I mean, that's the thing. There are all these pieces, and what you assemble to are thoughts about that. There are all these pieces. Yes. That go into it, and it's not the coherent whole necessarily, mm. but it thinks about a lot. No, I thought it made very wonderful use of, of an unusual architectural setting starting with what she calls the prologue the the steps taking us down from street level into this subterranean uh, gallery space and and those big fat wide steps almost become um, each one is its self-contained space but it becomes it's a very um, it reminded me a little bit of visiting uh, uh, that uh, or not Orbino. Oh, a, a, a town in Italy where Raphael, Santi, uh, no, where's Raphael from? Anyone, an artist or an out there? Santi, no, it's it's a, whatever town it is, 
um, you would get there by horse. I mean, it was a mercenary's castle, so he would he designed it in such a way that you could ride your horse up these steps into the castle. This was kind of almost horse-friendly steps, taking us down into uh, undercurrent. Then, then we get into this main chamber, which has this, these personages um, that, that, that uh, are each highly distinct, these stelle, uh, classical reference, um, but each one is a very distinct personage. And then there's the wall of these small collages, um, uh, a gray wall with these um, large number of uh, um, very um, sort of sutured and um, sewn together and uh, uh, stapled and, and, and kind of uh, very um, quirky and, and rather beautifully colored individual uh, collages, which don't read. I mean, she's a resolutely abstract artist. One doesn't, there's no obvious narrative intent, but uh, Knowing that they're based, they they pay homage to Clarissa, which is a, a, a as I mentioned, a, a novel written based up, made out of letters from one individual to another. Uh, they have a kind of postcard-like quality. These these strange fluttering forms to them, uh, but the the stele, it was an, a, a very pleasing balance to me also of an exhibition of uh, strong individual works and an installation uh, which kind of um, maybe didn't make an uh, obvious intellectual sense, but they made a, a, a very coherent visual sense. Would you agree with any of that, Laurie? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to say unequivocally, I thought it was an absolutely excellent, superb show. Um, left me with a lot to look at and a lot to think about. Um, and again, the, the title is part of the way in which the whole exhibition is couched. Yeah. Because uneasy terms, um, in her podcast, she says that this is both the times in which we live and also something about a, a, that reflects her working method. And I think one of the most beautiful aspects of this exhibition is to see the artist finding her way to the solutions. So it's, 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 and they are solutions. It's not like a lot of um, sort of, some of the art that you see variously, you know, that's out there that's in this um, improvisational mode, mm. of, you know, I'm blocking on the term people use, but. Provisional. Provisional, thank you. Improvisational, of course. Um, but some of the provisional stuff does look as if like you could go up and slap more stuff on it and it wouldn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. But there's something about her work that I think is a not job because it is it is it feels right each one. She's got traditional honing and truing of her fantastically ridiculous materials. Who works no. with garbage bags and weaves them up into wads and pastes them on stuff and manages to make it look alive and wonderful instead of just trashy. And that lead down uh, prologue was really wonderful I, uh, in the sense that you had sort of drawing literally lines connecting mm -hmm. from one part to, to another as you went down the steps and almost like a spider leaving a trail or a mouse leaving urine. No, a spider leaving Wow, it's an evening for Laurie. Yeah. Patrick, too. An evening too. for me. But there was this trail-like quality that Trowly led you in. How about I just say little, little pieces of red that 
hmm. followed and picked okay. up to get in there. But as to the um, Clarissa wall, I thought that, and I'm a Jane Austen girl. I am not a Richardson girl. So it took, it's a lot that I would like I'm not scared. Uh, this wall. But I did. And I think one of the things that was wonderful about it was the way she did do this thing she says she's doing. She went back to her a previous exhibition, got a bunch of the um, installation shots, had them printed up, and weaves them back into these postcards about Clarissa. So she's talking back to the novel yeah. in a very physical and visual way that was, and it was very different. All of a sudden she became kind of like a, a highly refining, honing and chewing modernist on that wall, mm. showing that the roots of her sensibility are for all of this wacky material that's just like stuff you get at Home Depot. She really has a very refined aesthetic, I think. And, I thought it was a wonderful exhibition. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, Terence, that where Santiago, as you've recounted it to us, um, is is known for very, very tight, small, focused miniature work, and has now gone into this um, kind of provisionalist overload of of his of his show. That um, Paler is actually um, uh, Penn is actually working in the opposite direction because. Um, um, previous installations of hers I've seen, I've seen quite a number actually at uh, Artists' Equity and, and, and elsewhere um, over the years. They're often, um, in the past, they have been uh, strikingly um, kind of provisional, a little chaotic, um, um, a little stream of consciousness. And it seems that in this show, actually, um, three distinct phases within the show but um, it's, um, it's a show of cohering, discrete objects. Um, how did you feel walking through the show with the, with the totality of it? Um, well, I'll, I have to say, honestly, so at first I really did not like the show. I was pretty, I wouldn't say upset, but I, I had trouble with it. Um, and so, you know, I think for, you know, a few days, you know, I was trying to ruminate on that and kind of because I don't really like, you know, it, and this was just at like a first guttural reaction, just looking at the work. It didn't really speak to me. I wasn't sure, you know, you know, I wasn't super familiar with her work, although I've, I've, mm. I've seen it in, you know, um, online. Um, and I thought two things I, I wanted to sort of like wrestle with it and. Again, I think for me, the most, um, the strongest work are these postcard works, all the, these sort of tiny little sort of meta uh, works that are, again, to me, a very interesting process of actually photographing the work and then working in them. And and that was, I could find a connection to that and also think about her work in a, a different scale, which was interesting. Because from what I've seen from her past uh, or earlier works, um, or like a bigger engagement with architecture of the space. Um, and I thought this was, you know, in a way that, again, I thought actually when I thought of them as paintings or as drawings on the wall, um, you know, there was a different uh, sort of connection or language that you could talk about. At first, you know, I just thought they were, again, just detritus 
um, slapped on the wall. Um, but um, yeah, seeing her earlier works and that sort of interplay with architectural space, sort of, and I guess you get that in that prologue going down, sort of. But in the rest of the gallery, they're just pinned up as 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 painting or or, or drawing. Um, but I think there's something that was interesting in the way uh, sort of that wall was kind of working with her work, speaking about her work, and sort of creating this sort of meta effect, which I thought was um, interesting. Um, but generally, I think uh, thinking of, of her work as drawing or painting is helpful for me to sort of engage with it, um, as opposed to sculpture um, or something, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, after kind of wrestling with it, you sort of enjoy it more. And again, looking at and again, thinking about her work in comparison to the other shows and Again, I think it's you know Santiago and and uh, this work in particular is sort of the two shows that have some of the most content. Uh, so again, I thought it was sort of a you know opaque at first and sort of hard to sort of dive into, which um, you know um, similar to your experience with the Santiago show, um, but sort of to spend some time with it and sort of wrestle with it. You know, I'm still I'm sure how I feel about it, but I think it's um, interesting. Well, I think it's it's abs it it wears its abstraction on its sleeve, doesn't it? So that in fact, fact and fiction, fact and fiction in it, don't you think? Uh, can you elaborate on that? I'd love to. The photographs for they're very. I mean, they're photographs as art are factual. Yes, uh, right. And then the you have the the soft, fluttery stuff that's yes. More, dreamlike and and more like drawing and there seems to be the contrast between those and when you're in the, in there right I'm right one, but I no no I, I I'm interested in what you're saying uh, certainly um, it seems to me that her, her materials it's the it's the perennial issue with um, Assemblage or collage, or um, um, that, that you, you you are using materials that come with a history. They um, are, as it were, um, mired or um, uh, patinated with what happened to them in the world before they got into a uh, gala pen piece. Um, and um, but in fact, actually, um, the materials. Even the photographic materials in the Clarissa wall, but certainly the sort of garbage bags and um, uh, screens and screeds and whatever that are that are in the stele, um, they are in a fairly raw, non-referential state by the time she uses them. We don't say, ah, bin liner, garbage, uh, refuse collection, blah, blah, blah. We don't have that semantic succession of associations. I think we just have black, shiny stuff. And so to that extent, um, despite being uh, assemblage-ist, um, her work is not of a collage mindset. It's of a... Um, um, a more um, composed graphic or I painterly even um, I don't think they're necessarily I don't quite go along with the um, insistence on them as drawing I don't, to me that doesn't help because 
I don't sort of need that umbilical cord with the medium. I, I'm, I'm okay with just uh, engaging with them as forms. And I think, um, I think that her, she's using non-fine art materials in a very fine art kind of way, which is which uh, which I so extend as praise really that um, uh, freed of traditional materials, but um, not enslaved to the semantic associations of found materials. Uh, I wanted to say I think one of the things says somewhere in a press release, maybe, or maybe I, I saw it in the interview that the gallery did with her, <clears throat> that uh, she thinks that something beautiful has to have something countering it. And I think her essential pursuit is aesthetic, uh, not literary, although she's obviously well-read, and she said something like in, that she's read Clarissa three times. This is her third reading. and. Whoa. God bless her, and I think this yeah. should be volume one, and she has future plans to do the other remaining three volumes. <laughs> but I think, you know, she's found there's something in that that's inspiring her to do this visual thing. I also think that, um, you know, it's very important to her from somewhere else I read in a press release or maybe in an interview that nothing be artificially hidden. Like, she, she, it's very important to her that the pushpins and the staples, they're in your face. She doesn't, so it's very interesting when you think about it. She's interested in beauty on the one hand, which generally in the history of things, you know, the French, you have to suffer to be beautiful, or just the artifice that goes into making something beautiful. She's saying, no, I'm going to go with this. The materials will not be, art. they will just be in your face, but they are staples and pushpins and just tacked on the wall. But she brings in the hand and the touch in the arrangement of these yeah. materials. That's where she aestheticizes. So it's it's not in a beautiful brush mark or a touch of the hand or it's not even really the colors. It's just the sensibility that arranges this flotsam and jetsam on the wall that way. And you either get with that or you don't. And I can see, like you said, I didn't get particularly with Santiago. No, I, mean, I needed some help. I think of that podcast with her. The interview was very helpful to me because I could hear her struggle a little more directly what she was doing. But I did like the work of fine walking into sure, sure. But I am an abstract team. Yeah. So oh, and I, I love abstraction. I think I think I mean again, I think there's something to say that the works are, you know, ugly in a way that's intriguing. Or using materials that are kind of ostentatious or 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 strange or even uh, a little bit weird, um, um, you know, and I think the arrangements, uh, you know, is weird, uh, are weird, but I also think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a terrible thing. I think generally, you know, I walked in and it, and it, and it offended me, but that's yes. not a bad thing. <laughs> An anxious uh, object. Yes. Um, but I also, I also, you know, I think something about it is there is a flow and a rhythm to it that is quite interesting. And I think, you know, I'm a big fan of lenticulars and she uses that and they reflect light in a very beautiful way. And I think there's parts, I know in seeing one piece, there's like, a, you know, it's the light is hitting it in a way where it's kind of reflecting off of the surface of the, of the work. And I thought that was very keen and beautiful. Um, but I think there's something to be said that the work is, um, it's, you know, I can't, I can't, come you know come away being like this is beautiful 
Um, but I can come away being like, it's interesting. I think it's doing something interesting. It's somewhat hermetic, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. In fact, both shows we've looked at so far have had a degree of hermeticism while also having that sort of sop to um, either visual or, or um, uh, historical reference association. Actually, what was interesting was the role that light did play in it. And hmm. light was a real material. And it activated the pieces. Yes. And that, that also added to the dreamlike quality. So, you know, so you had the heavy architectural yes. element, and then you had the, the gentle light. Well, yes, but they, she's, she's using materials, synthetic materials, yeah. that are transparent or um, uh, greasy, shiny sort of feeling surfaces. Um, so um, they are, they're all um, very directly light activating, aren't mm. they? Yes. And I, I'm, I'm imagining they're, well, I don't know, but I'm guessing they're cheap materials, which is also... Oh, yeah, probably found or cheap. Yeah. Uh, which is right. also interesting. Uh, it is interesting because it's a sort of fine, cheap material. Yes. It's a kind of a today arte pauvre. Yes, it, it, yes. Yeah. In a sense. Then maybe, a, yeah, there's a little bit of... Humility in, um, uh, or it could just be a conceptual decision followed through. Um, but uh, no, I think it's um, uh, they are um, sort of crappy stuff. But um, she's obviously a magpie because she goes. She doesn't look for stuff that's got kind of dissuasive, sort of seeping from every fiber she goes for stuff that's um shiny and fun and interesting uh -huh. especially some of those um, clarissa pieces had little orange mesh on them that were just gorgeous to look at in themselves they're like a sort of um a jewel like quality uh, even though it's just some found bit of crap uh -huh. basically but um there's crap and there's crap i mean it's uh, depends who finds it and what they do with it and what uh, alighted them to, upon it in the first place. Great. Well, audience, um, we've got uh, two quite powerful, ambitious, and intriguing uh, installations there, um, uh, Penn and Santiago. And um, just out of curiosity, um, who, who in the audience has seen one or both of those uh, the shows that we're discussing? Well, that's fantastic. So um, you must be brimful of uh, observations, queries, questions um as you probably as as those who are familiar with the series know i'm one of those weird moderators who prefers a statement to a question but um mostly because it's our chance to take a little break and to to hear some more views so um yes um please anna delgado i loved the show I walked in and coming down those stairs and seeing the movement, I found it so lyrical. And it felt to me like there were references to music. Um, a lot of times it looked like they were even like written music on a sheet of paper. And the way that the you walked down the stairs, like you said, and you were, you know, being led into the space. And just, I couldn't stop looking at them. I was there for the discussion on Sunday, and it was great to hear her speak about the work, but, um, or was it Saturday? Saturday. Um, 
but it was just delightful to see someone take these materials, show you what she's working with, and be able to create these lyrical, um, with so many references to so many things, movies, like you said, and books, and um, and then also becoming their own little characters, and the little pieces of color and shiny mixed in with the staples and everything that you guys said, I totally agree. Thank you very much, thank you. Yes. Wait for the mic if you would, please, thank you. Um, I also was there on Saturday for the talk and it was, um, I, there are a couple things that really stuck with me. Um, one is that the, there's a beauty and strength in those pieces that as interesting as, and strange as some of the materials are, transcend the materials. And I thought about that when she made the comment that um, she had tried earlier using some natural materials and felt like the, the result was a fetish, mm. um, fetishizing of the materials. And she had mentioned hair, and I don't know if that if she you know was also other materials that are maybe more commonly used in collage or that we might more you know commonly associate with collage. Um, but I you know I I thought about the absence of fetish. And that the result was something that was—it's it, very much made out of these materials, these strange materials, especially these scattering of the torn, dark garbage bags. But it is—it transcends it. That's my comment. Fantastic. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm already sick, so it doesn't matter. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, no, I'm not. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what I uh, loved about Gila's uh, work is that um, uh, I, I first saw it actually in a catalog, and then when I saw it uh, in person, it holds the same sort of... Uh, I think that's why I saw it as painting before anything else, because uh, compositionally, the works are very uh, uh, competent in, in that regard, and um, um, not a lot was said about like the formality of them, but... Um, when I saw how uh, they were composed, um, I really enjoyed how the small works referenced the larger works in terms of the meta qualities because um, with the small works you have the sort of illusion of uh, things that were printed matter versus things that were actual material and it was kind of uh, went back and forth between the discernment and then um, with what you were saying about how all the material was, was so up front, I think that we kind of expect an illusion to come into it. So we almost doubt that what we're seeing as staples are actually staples because we expect to be more um, more uh, uh, fooled than that. And in that way, um, the work kind of also transcends just in being so honest, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it, may, yeah, it makes sense. Right. <laughs> it makes a sense. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Any response? Uh, yes, John, the, the gentleman in the, in the red shirt. Just a thought. No, no, wait for the mic if you would, because we do record. Um, <clears throat> I didn't see the shows. Um, <clears throat> for me, uh, the quarantine issue doesn't really change my life very much. Um, but uh, I 
found myself thinking about what you were saying and and um, that there's kind of a, a contrast you know uh, you know one of one artist um, <clears throat> this is really very conservative a very conservative canon very successfully done it transcends the material you know I'm, we're, uh, but but still um, it seems like you often change you know, the way you say something or what you're saying, but not both at the same time. And, and that these are sort of two, these are inversions, these two shows. One is, <clears throat> this one is saying something uh, very conservative with unusual, an unusual way of saying it. Whereas the Santiago show is uh, using very traditional ways of saying things but it's kind of fuzzy what's what's uh, happening um so there's a that's all that was just a something i started thinking about and one other thing too is it's this is also clearly a trained artist whereas santiago is a musician if i understand correctly essentially trained he started as a musician and yeah what's that and and so you know that's important. That's a very different starting point. Right. It's interesting. Thank you very much, uh, John. And um, John Crawford is a sculptor. Um, it, it's interesting, though, that how one can talk about things being conservative or traditional or uh, way out or uh, because I think I could almost equally apply the terms in opposite ways in both cases. Um, um, Santiago's materials, uh, uh, just the range of them, even if individual materials are familiar or traditional, just, just the very um, bouncing around from one language or tone or register to another um, uh, was was really quite... Daring, radical, disconcerting depends how you you can respond one way or the other. But that they, um, I think that's sort of a little, no pun intended, but literally and metaphorically off the wall. Um, but um, um, Gayla uh, Pan, on the other hand, um, sure they're not. You don't go to Blick to buy those materials, but. Um, We've had more than half a century. Well, actually, if you go back to Brock and Picasso, we've had a century, uh, more than a century of um, um, of collage. And so, um, uh, really, at, we're at the stage where it's no longer, in and of itself, a radical gesture to use bin liners and mesh and uh, sheets of plastic. Uh, there, there is sort of bona fide in their way as clay or bronze or marble. Um, and so um, um, I'm not sure why one would be considered more traditional or one more radical. I think they're both in a way pretty traditional in that these are materials and strategies and pretty way out in just the effects that they're able to achieve. So I, I'm not, I wonder how much value there is to worrying or wondering whether something is uh, conservative or not at this stage as far as art strategies and materials are concerned I think Santiago's is, I mean the only way in which it's actually really conservative is that it's based on history 
or to talking to history. It's related to history. Except the drawing hand, where, the, where we see the charcoal in those from the wall things, the drawing hand is a is is perhaps a sort of not obviously not a Beaux Arts um, traditional hand, but it's uh, they're representational and um, and talking to issues. Yes, talking to the past. Hmm. Um, and I don't think hers is at all that. I mean, right. If we're comparing them, hers is is more modern in that sense that it. Yeah. You can't place it in that way. But again, I think the. the uh, that Penn and Santiago are, are ships crossing in the night in that um, uh, he comes from working, uh, from crafting a particular kind of object in a very familiar way to making an installation that's kind of all over the place, style and medium. And she comes from uh, syntactically very messy out there installations to the present one, which has this really clear legibility to it um so i you know they're they're both plumbing their the opposites of their usual modus but operandi i think um i'm sorry what was your name john uh, john um i mean i kind of agree with you in the sense that uh, i think what santiago is doing is i mean what's not called experimental but he's doing something uh, perhaps um, outside his comfort zone and things that are, again, what he would imagine or talks about ancestral imagination, something that's very kind of in itself very uh, spiritual. Um, and I think in some sense, not to say that doesn't, that doesn't happen in art, but that's kind of uh, a different um, uh, sort of mode of operation that, that uh, uh, Penn is, is doing, which I think is very formal um, in that regard yeah. um, and working with that in a way that's like, um, although there might be some sort of literary references, it's really about, um, you know, uh, again, whether you want to think of it as sculpture or painting, but really about the forms. Mm. Um, yeah. And I could, yeah, I could, I could get with that. I, that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, whether or not, I mean, if there's similarities in terms or kind of a, a mirroring because of the use of materials versus uh, Santiago's like, uh, I guess, traditional uh, way of making work or whatever it is, I think that's that's also interesting. But I think uh, in terms of what they're doing, I think that that kind of um, um, difference is, is palpable. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Great. Okay, well, audience, thank you very much indeed. I think we're ready for part two of our program then. And um, the, the third exhibition we're going to look at is uh, Willa Nasatir's exhibition at uh, Chapter NY on the Lower East Side. Um, and um, uh, again, actually, uh, we've, we've had two exhibitions where uh, some of us think of the artists going against the grain of what we're most familiar from their doing. Um, don't think I like the syntax of that sentence too much, but I think you know what I meant. Um, but uh, um, Nasatir is best known to us, I think, from her show not so long ago at the Whitney, um, working in um, a kind of abstract photography. Um, and um, uh, Laurie, let's start with you this time. Um, here we see uh, somebody known for camera work, lens-based work, um, 
giving us a show of four uh, paintings, but uh, perhaps uh, works following similar uh, compositional strategies. Um, talk us through this show. What did you find um, exciting and significant here? Well, first of all, Oh, sorry, does this work? No, I didn't think so. Well, you have to turn it off. <laughs> yes. Hello. Oh, okay. So does that work? Yeah. Uh, I thought her show at the Whitney was really a knockout. And um, but abstract isn't a word that comes to mind when I look at her work in the at the Whitney. So no matter how they described it, I didn't see it that way. But it had a drama. Uh, formally because of the black uh, juxtaposed with the color and the size, the scale. I mean, those were big things. Mm -hmm. And uh, really odd juxtapositions that sort of, how did she do that? Yeah, that did. And I, I, I read that she doesn't like that aspect, and that's one of the reasons she returned to painting. I guess she majored in painting. Uh, did her dealer tell us that at Cooper Union? And uh, she returned to painting. She didn't like it that people said, well, how did you do that? And um, yeah, I could see I'd be annoyed by that. But uh, I kind of miss the drama in these uh, paintings that I found in those photographs. And, um, but I did see the, the ways in which she was trying to bring some of the things she loves in photography, the scrims, the layering, looking through, and she's mimicking that in erasures. Her structure of approaching making these paintings is to begin figuratively. And then she abstracts from that. Well, that's hardly news that that can be done. Um, the net result is that sometimes the title will help you, like, bite. Yeah, I get it. It was a dog, <laughs> the limb and the thing. Um, but sometimes you kind of had to hunt, and there was indeed an alligator head embedded in what seems like an abstract painting and a figure. And so it was a bit of that duck-rabbit deal going on where which intrigues me. A lot of artists like that, and I, I like it too. I think it's one of the most fascinating visual phenomenon, uh, phenomena out there. Like if you make your brain look at it one way, you'll see the duck, and then you should will yourself and you can see the rabbit. You know that what I'm talking about? It only really works when your brain is actively doing it. So if you go in and you don't see it, and somebody might point it out to you even, you, you might not see it till finally, oh yeah, now I see it. So that's what happened a little with this, these paintings. She's, she's got these figurative elements that are mushed in there with abstract forms, and so your brain, once it figures out, wow, there's something going on in one painting, then you're looking for it in every painting. So in a little bit, I found, it not as good as the paint as the uh, photography in that respect that I was um, and and also it was a medium um, value range for the most part in the paintings here and there punctuated with some dark values but there was no of none of that full saturated color that she had in the photographs and I missed that mm. so that was my take but you know I, I certainly think an artist should have the right to go to another medium so maybe the, I'd like to see another show from her in painting if that's the direction she wants to go they seem to be very personal, and they were. They, I don't know exactly why, but there was the figure was there's something very poignant about these. Really, that's I'm I'm intrigued to hear that because they seem rather cool to me, and I would almost search the word impersonal. They they seemed um, there wasn't much um, expressivity in the touch or the or the use of paint. It was a rather thin, consistent, almost graphic use of um, um, 
Kala. I thought, I thought not in terms of ex, not in terms of expressivity. That right. Way, but I think there was something quite that was rather sad about them. There was an undertone. There was an undertone of sorrow. I don't know. Really melancholy. The, yeah. Uh -huh. In the in the color and and then the way the figures appeared there, they were fragmented. Some of them. It seemed like uh, I mean I shouldn't jump in, but but, but I will. <laughs> but I mean to me it was a little bit at odds. There was violence in those images, claws and yeah. you know bad stuff happening, animals eating like limbs and stuff. But at the same time, the palette didn't reinforce the violent violence for me. It was right. uh, this kind of pastels almost. So I found that didn't work for me. I wanted to yeah. either go the violent route or take me to a meadow. You know, it definitely wasn't a Delacroix sort of. Fight of the big tiger, big lions, or the big cats. No, it was not red in tooth and claw. Terence, um, what was the emotional register for you for these works? Um, well, I, I agree a hundred percent with Laurie. Um, I think, I think, I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, go back and say everything you said, but I agree with everything she said. But um, I think, and am I allowed to bring up a, another show? Yeah, of course. Is that okay? Um, if it helps, say. I mean, I, I mean, just to say something new because. Um, you know, I, I had something similar in terms of, you know, the abstraction, the figuration that's happening in there and it, whether or not that was successful or not um, or uh, uh, enjoyable. But um, I think, you know, when I was when I saw the show, I was thinking of uh, the Rita Ackerman show at uh, Hauser and Worth, um, which I don't know if anyone has seen here. But, uh, you know, in thinking about, you know, her, which I, I believe the, the show is called Mama. 2019, I think, um, but these sort of really, really beautiful large-scale paintings that are mostly abstraction with like a little hint of figuration that's kind of un the underpainting. And so the, the 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 paintings are just like also the use of color is very vibrant. The color is amazing. Um, so it, you know, I saw that show I, I think the day before, and I walked into this and sort of thinking about those two shows, um, you know, in connection to each other, and you know. Um, again, the use of color here, I think, is interesting um, and, you know, also an odd choice, particularly in thinking about her earlier work, but also in terms of the subject matter and even the application of the paint, which is very sort of pastel-y or sort of, um, um, uh, if not diluted in some way. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, I obviously thought the Rita Ackerman show was marvelous and everyone should see it and the paintings are incredible. Um, but, yeah, it was something where... You know, I guess because also the space is so tiny, so you up close, you sort of get abstraction. And once you walk away, you go to see the figuration. Um, but I guess I wanted the show to, uh, or the work to be, um, yeah, a little bit darker in terms of color and also um, kind of work through this idea of figuration and abstraction, uh, which I think is um, something that's interesting and strong. Um, but here was, um, I, I can't really explain it, but I think it was hard to sort of, um, and maybe that's part of it is that it's like uncomfortable in a certain way um, that like the, the sort of figuration comes in and out um, and um, and yeah I mean again the sort of violence as well but um, yeah the color sort of negates that so um, you know I, I actually enjoyed the show but it was also um, you know something that I thought like was yeah, again not as good as the photographs but yeah I, I was just struck by how anemic the work was um, for for, for uh, 
for paintings taking on uh, a violent subject, there seemed to be such a kind of blah passivity in the uh, application of the paint and also in the dissipation of the compositions, which seemed to be kind of a little bit art schoolish in the uh, construction of image and uh, um, which made me think maybe this is the visual strategy that needs the magic of uh, the lens or celluloid to gel into something um, spectacular because there's in fact a, a striking lack of spectacle in these as paintings. <clears throat> well, the much maligned, dis thoroughly discredited at this point, Clement Greenberg <laughs> once talked about the problem of homeless representation. And I think these paintings, I'm sorry to mention his name, may he rest in peace, but these paintings really do suffer from that problem. Because once she gets in there with the alligator head, then what the heck are the abstract forms about? They seem random and ridiculous. I mean, either do alligators, I, try muddy alligators, or, or be an abstract artist. And if she's drawn to abstract painting, you know, and you want to start with a figure, then you know, obliterate it while you're working. She's doing all this erasure, in, apparently, and all these things that she knows how to do from scrubbing them out and this and that. If you're going to do that, scrub out those things once you get going. Uh, have another glass of wine and let it go fully abstract and see what happens. That's funny, because that's, that's kind of what Rita is doing. Gratuitous, a lot. Yeah. For any specific meaning. Right. The alligator. They were just thrown in, I think. Right. Yeah, I, I again, agree. I think, um, you know, I, I, I do like the idea um, that she's returning to painting and doing something that is kind of vacillating between figuration and abstraction. I think, to me, I think that's interesting. I think, um, I think a lot, I mean, you know, I was at a, uh, earlier today, I was doing crits at, at, at Pratt, and you know, a lot of, a lot that kind of came up. You know, a lot of people that are working in abstraction. You know, it's like we you're talking about adding figuration or thinking about figuration. If you're doing figuration, thinking about abstraction. There's always this kind of this back and forth, and so I think working in that mode is is interesting. I think there's something there, and I think there's something to achieve there. Um, but again, I don't know if it's happening in this work. Um, and if if it is in a certain way, it's 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 frustrating, um, and mm. um, and that may be the point. I'm not too sure, but looking at the work is 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 um, difficult. Um, not to say that it's like not beautiful or anything like that, or but you know it's kind of um, it's um, it's it's hard to sort of see where the figuration like begins or ends, and the abstraction comes in, and it's um, it's strange. Um, yeah. But again, like, like you were saying about, um, I think Rita Ackerman's show again, not to to belabor on that, but is sort of ab like obliterating the figuration by you know covering it in abstraction, and it looks amazing. Um, yeah, probably about eighty percent of painting out there is somewhere between figuration and abstraction right now, and it's not as if uh, people are shy to paint. So I, I mean, um, with no disrespect, I, I mean. I'm, I'm happy that you're excited by whatever you're excited by, but um, uh, there isn't a shortage of people painting somewhere between figuration and abstraction. And, um, but blurring the distinctions between the two is one thing and sort of 
blustering around without knowing there's a distinction is, is I think, another. Well, there's tension. Tension. Well, there's also... There's no bite. (laughs) When you say 80% of the paintings somewhere, I I kind of concur, roughly. I don't know. I don't do numbers that way. But when you take part of the painting and make it figurative and Mm. part of the painting abstract, you're really in la-la land. I mean, you know, why not throw in whatever then? Because I I think it it really demeans... I'm an abstract painter, so I'm going to defend abstract painting here. I think it demeans abstract painting to use it that way, mm. to surround your alligator with abstraction. I mean, put it in water already. It needs water. Yes. And, and, and I just think that, or paint abstracted alligators. Everybody, I mean, many people have done that. I mean, that is different. And so I think that's a, a very, uh, where a, a, a really succinct feeling felt uh, individuality could come out in abstracting the figure in its context, but not juxtaposing the abstract parts with the figurative part. That's my take on it. I, because, sorry, Barbara. Go, please. Showing it as, a, as a, an element of the construction of, of figurative. Yeah. That underneath it, you have to have abstraction because that's part of Well, the problem is that when you have a painting that has um, figures in it, and then you put in next to those figures some shapes that can't be read in signifying terms, that's not abstraction. That's just shapes that can't be read. Because you see, abstraction is, a, is an intellectual order and language and, and purpose and direction. And um, if it's none of those things, it's just some decorative shapes because you need to fill some of the, more of the canvas. Yeah, filler. Uh, the the word filler. for it would be it's filler. filler. And filler isn't abstraction, I'm afraid. It's just bad figuration. But you also mentioned that her photographs were abstractions, correct? And I think they, these paintings in her photograph operate in a similar way um, because... You know, those photographs do often have, like, figuration. Well, she, she takes photographs, which uh, she takes, she uses photography, which is sort of in a way, even when it's not legible, because it's photographs, it's sort of inherently a representation. And she uses them in a way that subverts um, easy readings of what they are and creates um, a melange where the melange is more interesting than the individual bits, and therefore it's, I think, legit to speak of those photographs, as her supporters do, and uh, I think her photographs are interesting, as belonging to the abstract color photography genre, which is well established with other practitioners, uh, but I think she does it kind of well. But I, I, think, I think what's happening is there's, there's that's a similar, um, thing going on in her paintings, but just not to the same degree, right? I mean, that, that's what it looks like to me. It's sort of the same ideas that are mm. in the photographs well, trying it, to happen in the painting. But it may just show that you know these these. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's yeah, yeah. No, no, that's. But these mediums aren't necessarily easy to just do do X in one medium and do X in another medium. It just mm. may not be able to be done that way. Sure, sure. You know? I don't. I don't, I don't think that. painting lends itself. Her photographs could get away with this for a lot of reasons that are inherent to the way we look at photography and what the mm. the things we know about it when we're looking at it. I mean, you can call it abstract photography till hell freezes over, but we know, especially since she doesn't do digital photography, we know that at one point there was a dark room. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was light that fell across something. Mm-hmm. 
and she only photographed them twice. So she took the photo, then she did stuff, and then she took the photo again. So we know at some point it's connected to the real world. You look at a painting, it's from your head. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. I think it's a really different sensory experience to look at paintings and, and f- photographs, and they're very, very... People think they're similar, they really aren't. It reminded me of um, decorative tapestries from the 1920s and 30s, like yeah. Lewisat, um, uh, which were sort of modernist-ish, and they, you know, you'd see them on ocean liners and things. Um, and um, they were highly prized for their... Uh, weaving proficiency, but kind of dull. And um, I, I just um, was, I, I think, I'm afraid, underwhelmed sure. um, by this particular show. But I look forward to seeing her next either improved paintings or return to photography. And so forgive me, later, Gator. Um, let's move on <laughs> to uh, let's move on to our last show. Um, which has uh, loop number four, please. Um, Joanna Pousset Dart at uh, Nissen Gallery's 10th Avenue location. Um, a, a small show of works actually over a large range. Uh, there is a backstory here, but it's none of our business. Um, uh, she was supposed to have had the, she was thinking of filling the bigger space with a whole body of new work. But instead we have a, an, a nice, spread of four paintings over uh, quite a number of years. Large ones and then... Large ones. uh, And then we have... small... Well, we got a set of four Sumi ink drawings and I believe three uh, gouaches. So um, a nice focused show. Um, I don't want to say it's the dessert of this rich feast, but it's something perhaps about the um, uh, clarity and the strangely kind of bright pastels of the colors that give it a kind of candy-like quality. Um, um, uh, just a very beautiful show as, as far as I could Which make it. Yes. What would you say, Barbara? Overcoming beauty. Overcoming it's beauty. Really right. enorm- they're enormously beautiful. It's the first thing you think when you see these colors. Yes. And they're not colors other people are using, yeah. really. They're not quite pastels. They're, they're rich. And lively, but they're not, they're all sort of developing colors. Yeah. And, um, and that, and there's a, an active air to these, the way the colors mm. integrate with one another. And so while at first it looks like just pretty flat, abstract paintings, I think they're really very dynamic. Well, they're certainly uh, an un- unusual in their in their support and their shape and their uh, coherence of, uh, or not necessarily coherent. We use the word coherence too much this evening, but the uh, relationship between uh, the depicted shapes internal to the supports and the supports themselves. Uh, Terence, what did you make of this kind of canoe um, surfboard kind of um, support? I mean, um, I do love shaped canvases. I have to say, um, yeah. I mean, this this show is uh, it's 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 you know it's one of those shows that's hard to really talk about because it's so pleasing, you know. And it's, I mean, you could talk about the tension between the, sh- the you know how the shapes are kind of placed together with the the colors. I think you know that interplay is quite exciting. I think it's there's a nice give and take when it comes to that balance rhythm. 
Um, you know, I obviously think of like, you know, Elizabeth Murray, Rod Gorchov, all the stuff, um, and sort of where she fits into that conversation. But they're really just quite pleasant to look at. Um, you know, and it's, um, I think in terms of their shape, these surfboard or however you want to call them, they they have a lot of movement to them as well. Um, and I think that's quite exciting about the work. I also loved how, you know, again, these two shows, um, uh, the one at Chapter New York and this one, there's, there's like four paintings, four large paintings to look at. Um, and, you know, in that space, apart from the drawings, which at the moment I can't really recall, but um, um, the paintings in themselves, uh, in that space, you know, you get time to sort of uh, really move around each one of them um, and sort of experience them in, the, in, in that space, which I which I enjoyed. Um, um, and you know, that was that was a that was a good day of going to galleries. So um, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard for me to sort of go into this because it's I was enamored by it and I think it was a great show. Um, but really, getting to the criticality of it, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, um, again, it's talking about um, form and, and visual language, um, um, but it's great. It's a great show. Yeah. So, abstract painter on an abstract painter, <laughs> Laurie Fenton. Uh, well, first of all, I think uh, one of the most beautiful and um, moving parts of it is the mature clarity that these paintings evidenced. And yes, I know she's an older painter, so maybe that's making me throw that word mature in, but it has to do with the fact that they're clear and yet they're extremely idiosyncratic. Okay, yes, they are reminiscent of Ellsworth Kelly and other people who've done these big shaped canvases and stuff, but um, these are so precisely hers. Uh, you, you couldn't make any mistake that it would be somebody else's. And the way she makes that curve and then she brings it around and makes it go to a point. I mean, how decoratively daring is that? And also, if I may say this, feminine. Um, she takes a masculine thing, the Ellsworth Kelly, the you know uh, Ron Gorchov, these shaped canvas guys, and she she just really one-ups them with this this exquisiteness that I think has individuality and yet offers that big, broad, hit you in the face when you walk in the gallery impact. And they are. Uh, to me, I read, I read, I know her a little bit, very little, but I know her to say hi on the street. And I had no idea of the backstory till I started reading. And I saw the interview with her on, uh, I did my homework, David, I just want you to know. Someone so I went and I listened to this interview with her and it was very moving, but it was Lily Way. And it was at the New York Studio School, and it was long, and I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I listened to enough of it to hear her talk about how her uh, experience of the landscape in New Mexico was really the spiritual, uh, political, not political, poetic source for these paintings. And I was wrestling with that a little because I would never in a million years have thought, I've been to New Mexico, I've been to Galisteo a long time, I was just in Chaco Canyon this summer, but I wouldn't have thought, New Mexico landscape. But then I thought it didn't matter because she gave me expansiveness and particularity in each and every piece. And I can't get over it how idiosyncratic it is and yet it feels like it's classical. How does she get away with that? It just feels so individual she and seems yet to be so an artist classical. who revels in you almost getting somewhere and then being thrown because um, they're sort of hard-edged, but they're very handmade and actually soft. Yeah. 
and they're they're sort of almost um, they're they're bright declarative color, and yet they're really soft, sweet pastel color at the same time. And so you think, hey, well, where am I? What is this? Which it's is all it? about becoming. Becoming. Do you know the colors even are in their development? And you're, you're, as as um, someone pointed out, it's all about rethinking. And you're, oh. you think along with her as you look at them. Mm. And you realize that the paint, paint, not only are the paintings, the um, ah. colors developing, but the pictures themselves. She, I think they always reconsider, too. She does a lot. She never really feels that she's finished. Right. You mentioned feminine. Is there anything gendered about that becomingness that, uh, um, not in the sense of being pretty, but the, uh, the, the, the process, the thinking out loud, the... Uh, open-endedness is open it's really quite open-ended you're right and they you know you have the sense of motion and mm. shape and all that and yet there's a sense maybe it's like watering around that but they're really non-referential that's right anyway non-referential and yet redolent yeah so they you can think of them as alluding to uh frescoes mm. and even to altar pieces mm. you know, with, with these segments the shapes have uh, the shapes seem to me have. Uh, I mentioned canoes and surfboards, yeah, but they do seem to think they do seem to be something that's about motion, about um, uh, the horizontal, the, the horizontal, but also something about um, riding the surf in a certain way. I, I I just have a question for the panel and the audience. Did anyone um, have a chance? Because I know they. Um, uh, she had a talk with Bong Bui at the. At the she did, yeah, yes. Yeah. I didn't. Attend I didn't it. get to see that. Did no. anyone get to see that? No. Yeah. I advertised I did. it, but I oh, did. What did What did they talk about? I was just curious because I know Fong, and um, I'm sure he has a lot to say about her paintings. Fong was sort of. I think Fong didn't have as much to say as someone. Oh, really? I mean, he was really good, but I mean, he was. He really he let liked her, her speak. Talk. Yes, yeah. and she and she was very quiet. And she, uh, That's what some moderators do. They let people talk. <laughs> uh, I've heard. Yes. Yeah. I think there's also, uh, a, I just want to throw this in too. There's something around the edges that's ever so lightly good-humored. Or, or, or mm. you know, there's so much uh, art that's sort of tragic or political or whatever, and there's something about the edges of this that's, that, that is good-humored. Some of the, of the pieces here look almost like faces almost not really I'm not suggesting that it's anything but abstraction but there was this this delight maybe delightful you don't see a lot of art that's just delightful and hers was mm. I found it delightful so maybe that's where I'm sort of gendering how many how many times would I look at a man's art and say oh that's delightful I mean <laughs> they Stanley Whitney is he delightful I think he's delightful. Well, it's not an attitude that would Scully can be delightful. You know? Oh, yeah. It's not, I don't well, know. I'm, I'm curious. What, 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 I kind of want to go back to what you, what, you, uh, or what you see as feminine about the work. Is it the shape, the color, combination of both? It was the delicate the moments within what are otherwise graphic paintings mm -hmm. that she would she would have the delicate she would take time to have the delicate coming to a point or the color the beautiful she has one yellow and underneath you can see it was blue mm -hmm. and very pastel and then she paints a yellow lightly translucent you can see through to the blue that seemed to me to be attentive to detail in a way that I found 
like embroidery or something. Not really, but you as know. As soon as you mentioned New Mexico, I thought, ah, that is a connection because although formally they got nothing in common, there's something about George O'Keefe in these. I'm thinking well, that's particularly of the way the skulls in O'Keefe and some of the flowers also come to those points in the way that these arc forms, uh, which are like, um, I love particularly the way in which very occasionally um, one arc form would uh, traverse the boundary between one support and the other. Yeah, yeah. And um, she's a very witty artist. I think, um, you know, uh, this morning I was, this is sacrilege, um, but uh, I, 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 I don't know why I'm admitting this, but I, I, I'd, I'd listened to The Intelligence and I'd listened to some rock music and then I wanted to something, I needed some noise, I, not, it's not usually me, I either listen to music or I have silence to work. But I was doing these, uh, which is the kind of work that you sort of need some sound behind you, but you don't necessarily want. I put on Mozart's string quartets now, that's sacrilege to any real musician because they are such brilliant, witty, and original compositions. And yet, an ignoramus can also put them on as background music. Now, um, in a way, uh, this alludes to, you've, you've talked about how pleasing they are, you've talked about how feminine, in a way, um, these are, I think, very sophisticated paintings because they can just work as very pretty, very lovely, very fun and friendly paintings. At the same time, actually, they've got stuff going in, on in them that uh, a, a Gayla Penn or a Willa Nastir would be incredibly happy or lucky to get in the, their their work as well. I mean, I think, I think, on occasion, both as younger women do, but um, I think that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think that's I think we need to think of her as a sort of Mozart in a in a world full of um, I don't know uh, um, Wagner's and uh, um, uh, Mahler's. Good. Well, that's a sweet note to end on. I think. Um, well, for us to end on, I'd love to hear the audience response to both um, Joanna Pusset Dart and Willa Nastir. Uh, Nasatia and what we've had to say about uh, the two artists. Um, but of course, would love to hear a spirited defense of Nasatia or a devastating critique of Pusset Dart. But what happens, happens. And I'd love to hear what anyone has to say. Yes. Wait for the mic, if you would, please. Thanks. Hi. Um, I'm going to bring this up because the panel hasn't yet. Um, I'm looking at Pacific Northwest Indian imagery, and I'm seeing some references, connections to the shapes within the shapes of Joanna's paintings, connecting to this work that I was aware of before I looked it up, but here I'm just seeing it confirmed that there's real strong connections to the shapes within the shapes. Yes. Um, did you, do you think so? And the, the, my question about Joanna is, is she related to Richard Pousset Dart? She's his daughter. daughter. Thank you. I think you should, um, if you read her own statements about her sources and inspiration, they, they also include Northwest Indian art as well as American Indian art from the Southwest, yeah. uh, Mayan art, uh, Byzantine art, um, Italian art. Yeah, uh, I certainly see some uh, oceanic art as well. Uh, not, I mean, yeah, I, sh I don't recall oceanic, her saying yeah. oceanic, but she's got, she's one of, she's uh, voracious in her looking at art and her absorption of 
these multiple sources that feed into her art. But she does spend a lot of time in New Mexico. So that's where you're gonna find that Southwest Indian art more, the Pueblo region. So, but she will, she does say, she does mention specifically Northwest Indian art in, in some of her references. Great. Yes. Go ahead, don't be shy. Wait, who is, I just lost his name. I'm right there. Oh. Who's at Pace Gallery right now. Uh, the, the, mm. Kenneth Nolan. Yeah. Kenneth Nolan, right. But, but it's really interesting because they're verticals and they're thin. And he has all ah. these rather mm. similar kinds of constructions. Yes. And they're linked by a little band of uh, like plexiglass. It's good plexiglass. Bringing the pieces together. But ah, you mean, but you mean Irwin, not Nolan, who was at who was at Pace earlier. You mean? Do you mean right um, now, oh, right now? Oh. This is like dinner at my house. Just as I'm going to look. This is end, this is ending with a whimper, not a bang. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but uh, that's so fine. Really no. Nope. Yeah. We don't want to miss an interesting comparison. <laughs> yes. But you you mentioned an ocean liner earlier. And no, I Oceana. Don't, oh. No, earlier when oh, you were talking. Oh, yes, Lewis and Lewis. I was thinking, don't bring up ocean liner. Yeah, that's cruel, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very cruel. Yeah, don't, don't knock ocean liners when they're about to go extinct. They're about to yes. go extinct. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, by the way, about um, ocean liners, um, well, it, it may not seem like th that note, but... Um, I wanted to acknowledge the presence of Anna Delgado and uh, David Dixon from uh, One Grand Army Plaza. They are our very generous uh, uh, sponsors who uh, usually host our after party, but you'll understand that the concerned residents of One GAP don't want our grubby fingers in there. <laughs> Anywhere near their kindergarten right this evening. Um, I'm sure by April, when um, warm weather will have killed nasty bugs. We'll all be back there for the um, April 15th edition of the review panel, which features um, uh, David Humphrey, Leanne Norman, and Robert Storr. Um, and I might also mention at this moment that um, we record our um, uh, review panel. And so, um, uh, those empty seats can be made up conceptually by the thousands of people who will, tens of thousands of people who will plug in at artcritical.com and hear the review panel. Thank you very much to Greg Richards and his crew for their expert recording and BPL for hosting us as ever. And um, enjoy this balmy evening and get home safely and see you soon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>